0: Well, I can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love love, will come back to me. All right, hello friends and neighbors. It's been about two weeks since I've uh, recorded an episode and I'm doing this episode in the early afternoon. The house is empty and it's quiet and I haven't been staying up late uh, the past several days and so I really didn't think I'd get to it tonight but I really wanted to get this one This episode done and out and try to get the ball back rolling again it's been a busy two weeks hunting season finally wound down I shot a deer last weekend I shot a deer the week before and when I do that that means that I have to not only clean the deer and prepare the deer but I also uh, process the deer myself which means I've got to keep it fresh cut it up go find some beef fat from the Piggly Wiggly in Canton and then grind it into the blend and then bag it and then freeze it and that that can take sometimes the parts of three days two days if I'm really on it and the meat's keeping well three days two days if if I feel like I need to get it done so between doing all that And trying to get Ethan to shoot a duck, which we just couldn't make happen. We're going to try again this next Saturday on Youth Day. And we tried a rabbit hunt yesterday, but the rabbit man didn't show up. The dogs, the man with the dogs didn't show up because he had to bury his brother. But he didn't tell us he had to bury his brother yesterday. So everybody was trying to figure out why he said he'd be there with the rabbit dogs to do the hunt. So... We're going to rabbit hunt next Sunday. And now that I have wasted two minutes of y'all's times, coming nowhere near approaching the subject of today's episode, today's episode is The Blues Brothers. Now, I was just going to do the movie, but I got to reading about it, and the formation of The Blues Brothers and the actual musical act of The Blues Brothers and the recording of their three albums together, and their touring, and who they opened with, and the bluesmen that they'd met and patterned in their act after, make this episode much more informatory of the Blues Brothers, such as Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. They were the Blues Brothers. The catalyst of the Blues Brothers was Dan Aykroyd he was into the blues he grew up in Ottawa and growing up in Ottawa he lived in the city he went to elementary school there he went to high school there he went to university in the city and there was one place that he liked to go to a French club called Le Hibou, which translates the owl so we'll just call it the owl and he would go there and watch the blues men, because the man who ran the club a guy named Harvey Glatt brought in any blues act he could get over from Chicago or Detroit. Their acts would, you know, when they toured the Northeast, he could bring them into Ottawa downtown. And he would get acts like James Cotton and Pine Top Perkins and Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy and Sonny Terry and Junior Wells. You know, all the heavies, the city bluesmen. Um, John Lee Hooker, kind of a cross between Delta Blues and City Blues. He was a Chicago Bluesman. He lived in England mostly because of uh he just wasn't into the segregation and who would be. Um so one night in this club, the Owl, who was gonna play? Muddy Waters was fixing to play and his drummer did not show. And so Muddy Waters said, Is anybody here in the club? you know, good on drums. And Aykroyd just simply stood up, walked and sat at the drums and nodded. And uh they started playing. And it's quoted that it was Little Red Rooster, they they started out, and Muddy Waters was quoted as saying, Keep that beat going, you make Muddy feel good. You know this made uh Dan Aykroyd beam back in his young thin days with his evil grin right and so he got into the blues early this is in the 60s and he introduced the blues to John Belushi when they met in the early early or just previous to leading up to the Saturday Night Live days that started in 75 and 76 really 75 Uh, Someone just pulled up in my driveway. i got to pause. So, we're going to have a hard break. Okay, that was a long break, but you'd never know because all I have to do is uh, edit. But someone was uh, returning my uh, meat grinder, and then I decided to go ahead and eat lunch. And I had made a homemade chicken soup Saturday evening. And so I just ate a big bowl of chicken vegetable and it's got my nose running a little bit just from the spice that I'd put in it. I put a little red cayenne and everything, but lightly, so the kids will eat it too. But it'll make my nose run. So that's a nice addition to the show. I wish I had a fan because it warmed me up even though it's 70 degrees outside. So we're talking about the Blues Brothers. We're talking about Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. We're in the mid 70s. They've met and become best of friends at Saturday Night Live. And they used the Saturday Night Live band to form their band. Mainly the Saturday Night Live band. It wasn't... Uh, there were two leaders. Paul Schaefer was one of their arrangers. But he wasn't in the movie because he was doing the Gilder Adner. Uh, musical in Canada, and so another man took on the band leader, arranger, uh, piano player, and and I don't have his name right now, and so you don't have his name either. We I think I left off where uh, Dan Aykroyd had gotten. John Belushi into the blues and John Belushi took to it as enthusiastically as as uh Aykroyd because he was getting tired of rock and roll and he said he hated disco and he was just looking for a new direction and Dan Aykroyd introduced him to the blues and then when he and then when uh, Belushi went out to Oregon where they filmed animal house. There was a bar there that had blues themed. It was a blues bar. And he met a, a harmonica player who played the boot blues there regularly and they became best buddies. And, uh, John Belushi would sing with them. And between those two influences, he was sold and so, in seventy-six, in nineteen seventy-six, the not ready for fr- for fibed <laughs> horrible talking, the not ready for primetime players were gonna do their skit with the bees, the killer bees. If you know of early Saturday Night Live, and they dressed as killer bees, but they played a live song. As the Blues Brothers, and that was their introduction to television. As the Killer Bees. This is all here, and it, and I can't find it. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, it's at the top. Howard Shore was their band leader who helped them. And they did I'm a King Bee. You can see it on... uh. YouTube and so that's where they molded the Blues Brothers together Howard Shore suggested they call themselves the Blues Brothers because they Ackroyd and Belushi were acting like brothers already anyway two years into uh, doing Saturday Night Live they were just alike they're into it they just they decided to wear dark glasses because that's what John Lee Hooker wore they decided to wear suits Because the early jazz and blues players of the 40s, 50s, and 60s wore suits to look serious and professional, even though they were. uh, A majority of them were alcoholics and drug addicts and sex addicts or all of the above. Some of them weren't. Some of them were pretty straight. But that's how they formed it up, you know, with a blues background and uh, actual talent. Because they could both play and. Belushi could sing. He was a professional drummer leading into his uh, comedy days. And Ackroyd could play harmonica. He could kind of tap around on the drums. They both had rhythm. And so the Blues Brothers on Saturday Night Live on NBC were formed in the mid-70s. Come 1978, they were so popular, they recorded an album. And they were mostly covers of uh, um, blue standards people like uh, John Lee Hooker and uh, Sam and Dave were huge influences and if you're not familiar with Sam and Dave you need to look up Sam and Dave on Spotify and listen because their best of album is a repeat listener from the very beginning to the very end You'll want to hear it over and over. I I had their album in college and listened to it constant. Because I'd seen the Blues Brothers, which came out in 1980. They filmed it in 1979. We will get to that. Am I even rolling? Okay, good, I'm rolling. I've hit about 11 minutes, minus the break. So now they've recorded their album. Uh, Belushi's left Saturday Night Live. Aykroyd is leaving Saturday Night Live. So they're going to go on tour. Pardon. They opened for the Grateful Dead at their final show at Winterland from their tour, 1978 tour, on New Year's Eve. They opened for the Grateful Dead and the new Riders of The Purple Sage. So it would have been the Blues Brothers doing their act, and they would have been well-known by the crowd if they watched any TV whatsoever. Popular TV. Then the New Riders of the Purple Sage played, and then The Grateful Dead probably played for hours. And they also opened for Steve Martin when he was huge in the late seventies as his comedy act, his solo comedy act, and he had that big hit King Tut, which is kind of a silly song, but people ate it up. He 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 did cons- He did uh he was the first comedian to do stadium concerts for comedy. And if you listen to his live albums, you can hear the screaming like it was a Beatles show. Except it was just Steve Martin being goofy. But I like Steve Martin and his work. So, then came the movie, which they filmed in 1979. It was the biggest budget comedy movie made up to that point in 1980 and maybe for years to go. And the big budget was because they had James Brown and Aretha Franklin and John Lee Hooker and Cab Calloway and a few other uh, big-time R&B and blues uh, musicians who did their cameos and actually sang. it. Was, the movie was considered a musical, and it was. It was a blues musical. It was great. Everybody's seen it. If you hadn't seen it, you'd need to see it. You'd see it twice. So they made the movie, they recorded the soundtrack, they did all the soundtrack themselves with the band from Saturday Night Live as their backup band, and then they went on tour. And at the end of the tour, they did a third album, which they recorded live at uh, Universal Studios somewhere. (laughs) Where does it say? At Universal Amphitheater, wherever that is. It's probably in L.A., but I don't know. It could be somewhere else. They even had songs on the charts. They were they were well known. They were famous. And yet they were talented and they were John Belushi especially had hit a trifecta. He had done a hat trick. He had a top movie. He had a top record. And he had something else. And maybe I'll find that when I go when I go to part three of this episode on the movie itself. Because there's a lot to the movie, the background to the movie, like kinda like what I told y'all in the Blazing Saddles episode, all the things you didn't know. Um that was originally what I was gonna do with the Blues Brothers, all the things you didn't know but need to know about the movie. But because there's music that was involved that pre-predecessed, pre- <laughs> that came before the movie, that pretty much birthed the movie, which is what everyone remembers them from now. But they started out as, a, as, as comedians and then musicians as a band and then went into movies. And uh, and then John Belushi died of cocaine overdose in 1982 supposedly heroin and cocaine which is too bad because he was uh he's like that best friend you have who's your best friend but he's not your best friend because he's everybody's best friend because everybody's love loves them and they're bigger than life and so they feel like they've got to be bigger than life and it's exhausting and so they take drugs to keep going and it's killed many a musician and it's killed many an actor some on purpose, some by accident, some it was just destined and everyone knew it was coming like Chris Farley but I've pretty much played out the music part of the Blues Brothers and so what we need to do and I want to try to do this without taking a hard break unless someone texts or calls. That's why I do my shows late at night because no one is texting me after midnight. No one is calling me after midnight. All the kids are asleep way before midnight and I can come in here in the Big Black River studio, AKA the mud room of my house out here in Madison County in the sticks and I can record a show with no interruption whatsoever. And we've had one interruption already and I'm just babbling along wasting your time unless you have time to waste because you're driving or you're relaxing. Okay, Blues Brothers Film. Click. This episode brought to you by Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Online, wikipedia.org. All right, we're back. We didn't go anywhere. The Blues Brothers was released in the summer of 1980. It was directed by John Landis. He also did uh, Animal House, uh, previous to, uh, the Blues Brothers, and he probably would have done Caddyshack, but he was doing the Blues Brothers, and so, uh, the guy that helped direct Animal House with John Landis had to do Caddyshack, and he was not a seasoned director at the time, John Landis was. Um, when they decided to do this movie, they, uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd, it was his baby pretty much this whole blues brothers thing. He was told to write a script and he couldn't find anyone to write the script with them. And he didn't know how to write a screenplay. So he went to his bar that he had in New York where they played blues or people could come in and just pick up, play blues or rock or whatever they wanted he and a guy named i'm gonna find it he and a guy named oh man you can never find the names when you want and it's not that's who produced it where's his writer oh landis took his script it was a huge thick tome that he wrote and delivered to hollywood and he took a los angeles Phone book and cut everything away except the cover and the thick binder, and use that as the binder to this giant, messy script that he wrote, which is basically just descriptions of characters, descriptions of the band, musician members, and how they all met, and a rough, gosh, you know, a rough outline of where the movie would go and end. And really, it kind of ends chaotically. But it's fantastic the way you know the chase is the most notorious car chase with car wrecks. It was the most wrecked vehicles in a movie ever made until they made the second Blues Brother movie where they wrecked one more car than they wrecked in the first movie to break the record. John Belushi missed it. So they're gonna make the movie. We know how the plot goes, we know how the movie goes we know it originated with Dan Aykroyd and then his um, teaming up with John Belushi Dan wrote the screenplay it was uh, it was undisturable the producer Robert Weiss got someone to shake it out it was Landis he turned it into a screenplay it only took him two weeks it took Acroyd six months to write his tome. <laughs> so Acroyd Because it was a musical, and it was about the blues. He demanded James Brown, Cab Calloway, Ray Charles, and Aretha Franklin to be cast in speaking parts and musical roles, and he got them. They got the band from Saturday Night Live. A majority of them, they had, they were all professionals. Before Saturday Night Live, some played with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Some played with Booker T and the MGs, the Bar Kays, Isaac Hayes. I think one of them even played with Sam and Dave, and they were old school. And so then they picked up some actors. Carrie Fisher and John Candy were two. Um, Dan Aykroyd at the time was dating Carrie Fisher. Even though in the movie, she and John Belushi had had a thing, but Belushi left her at the altar he didn't show up he jilted her and so she was after him with rockets and machine guns and explosives the whole movie um you know the movie budget was supposed to be 15 million then it inched up to 17.5 million and then by the time they were starting principal photography they had already spent that they ended up spending $30 million thirty million dollars in 1979 to make the movie. The movie box office alone made $115.2 million. And if you split that down the middle, that's what it made in the United States and the other half in uh, outside of the United States. And actually they made more outside of the United States than in it because of John Belushi's uh Presence and that it was a blues, musical comedy movie, because Europeans, namely, love the blues. They really do. <clears throat> they still do. So, do we have anything else to add on that? It was released June twentieth. It really they they were kind of scared to release it, because of all the black musical acts and and uh, characters in the movie. The guy who ran all the West Coast theaters apparently was a racist or a segregationist, pro-segregationist. And this is West Coast. And so he wouldn't do it. And So they only opened about half the theaters in the country. But because it, it was so well received, pretty soon all the theaters opened to it and it just uh, it took off. They did well. There were a lot of cameos. In this movie, some of you may not know, such as Joe Walsh of the Eagles. He was a prison inmate. In the end scene when they are doing Jailhouse Rock, the first prisoner to jump up on a table to dance was Joe Walsh. True story. Um, Steven Spielberg was the Cook County assessor at, towards the end of the movie when they went to pay the taxes for the church and boys' home. Frank Oz... The Muppets creator, Frank Oz, was the corrections officer in the beginning of the movie. There was a supermodel of the time she wasn't real tall named Twiggy. Why she was in there is just a girl at the gas station who flirted with uh Aykroyd. It doesn't really say it doesn't make sense. Steve Lawrence, who was a well known seventies t v and stage maybe performer was their agent Mari Sline. And uh like I said, they had John Lee Hooker, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, Cab Calloway, James Brown, you know, they had the heavies. It was beautiful. The Universal Studios won the bidding war, which was a a real thing. uh-oh, I bet we stopped. No, it's still going when Texas text came in. That's unbelievable. maybe it's calls. Had two texts come in. You're gonna to have to wait. If you hear this and you know you're the one that called, I'll call you back or text you back when I'm done with this episode. Um I'm, oh, I'm not even hit thirty minutes, so I'm I'm good. The bidding war was won by Universal, they beat Paramount. Um Universal said they'd give them twelve million. The filmmakers wanted twenty. I told you that they ended up using thirty. They destroyed a hundred and eleven cars. Wait. The movie held the record for most destroyed cars for eighteen years at a hundred and three. One less than was wrecked in the Blues Brothers two thousand and nineteen ninety eight, and they were both surpassed by GI Joe: Rise of Cobra in two thousand nine. When they wrecked 112 cars. I wonder if they did that on purpose. So they hired 500 extras to shoot the end, the next to last scene where they're trying to get to the building to pay the taxes. They had to block off the Daily Center in Chicago. Most of this was filmed in Chicago. Uh, 200 National Guardsmen were part of the extras, 100 state and city police officers, 15 horses of mounted police. They had three Sherman tanks, three helicopters, and three fire engines. That cost a lot of money. They used Wrigley Field in the movie. They used the Old Town Alehouse, which was a popular place for uh, Belushi in those days where he would go. When He was winding down or winding up the way he was. <clears throat> they did shoot a little bit of the movie in Hollywood indoor scenes such as the uh their musical act on stage, their comeback act where they only played like two songs after Cab Calloway did many the Muture. which he wanted to do in a disco fashion but Everyone else said, no, 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 you need to do it the old school way. We want the old school, many of the moochers. Cab Calloway had been around since the 40s and before. Cab Calloway was older than anyone on that movie. And he was still every bit as talented. I know all these names, and I know these people's music. Y'all may not know it. Cab Calloway, probably not. I know you know Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, John Lee Hooker, maybe not. Maybe you need to listen to John Lee Hooker because he's great. He's got such a mellow, deep voice that really rings. You know, it's great listening in the car to his like walking blues or whatever he's playing. Everybody knows James Brown. He's kind of tainted in his uh his uh what do you call it when what you leave. I'm gonna leave my uh When you leave your mark, you leave your, not your odyssey, not your ecstasy, you leave your, uh, gosh, the story you leave behind for your family and fans, don't know the word, you're probably saying it now, saying, come on, you're going to think of it, say this, it's this, it's this, I can't think of it, legacy, I thought of it. Well, he was a woman beater, and he used PCP, but he was huge in in his uh, musical genre has, and he crossed genres and he was a big influence on a lot of people. I don't think that excuses hitting women. I mean, it might excuse PCP use. I, I don't know. I never used PCP or Angel Dust, whatever you want to call it. Nor have I used meth or crack. Nor do I plan to a little too far along to screw my life up like that. Let's get to the Bluesmobile. They used 13 different cars for the original Bluesmobile. There was not one. There were 13. They bought 13 California Highway Patrol cars. They were 1974 Dodge Monaco's, known as the 74 Mount Prospect police car. And they did not all have the same makeup some were made for jumps they had beef suspension some were made for speed they had big engines one was made to fall apart and it took a guy months to rig it to where when they parked at the daily center and got out the car just fell into pieces they kept a 24-hour running body shop to repair the cars as needed they had 40 stunt drivers hired to do all these Films of all these chases, mostly in the end. And a lot of these stunt drivers drove the police cars and, and crashed those or ramped them into the truck. <clears throat> or, or, yeah, they ran an RV through a, a huge uh, dock warehouse into a lake, didn't they? Not one effing word. Um, so they were busy people. You know, they had 60 police cars they bought at $400 each. For the large chase scenes. Like I said, they did really well at the box office. Um they were pretty much considered by Rotten Tomatoes, if you're familiar, as eighty four percent certified fresh, which is a decent rating for Rotten Tomatoes. There's other movies that are great that aren't that good rating wise. They uh they they got panned. And raved at the same time because the movie was kind of erratic and hard to follow and nearly ridiculous. But at the same time, absolutely engaging and entertaining. And, you know, Belushi just alone can hold an audience. He just had that charm. I don't know him. I didn't know him. But I've seen him on the sky. I read Ghost Riders in the Sky, and that's said in the sky. I have not seen Belushi in the sky. (laughs) I've seen him on the television. I've seen him, I don't know if I ever saw him on the movie screen. I was probably too young to see his movies. He died in 82, I was 11 or 12. So this episode is going to end about like the movie ended. It's just going to come to a crashing, screeching halt. Because, obviously, I was not prepared. More than this half piece of paper, I took some notes to know where to go on the page here. On Wikipedia. The free encyclopedia. Well, this is Harry Day. Unprepared. Unrehearsed. But more civilized. Thank you for listening to Too True to Lie. I've got a new listener in Thailand to add to South Africa and the other uh, areas that are picking up and listening, finding and listening to my show. Um, it's around the world. It's really crazy. I know it's just one or two people in each of these countries, but hey, it's not zero people in these countries listening to it. I want a Japanese listener and if you know anyone that's in Japan get them to listen to it so it can come up on my analytics Japan would be really cool um France would be okay um South Africa is Africa Australia's Australia it's two continents obviously North America I don't believe I've got South America yet so someone from Brazil or maybe my friend in Peru, Dorasco, if you listen to this, sign in and listen. So I'll have a, a South South American. I know I've got Russia, so that's Asia. I've got Germany and Great Britain among and maybe Norway among others, Spain, and that's Europe. So maybe some more states too. How about someone in the Midwest like Kansas? How about someone in the Northeast besides Massachusetts, like Maine? Anyway, maybe I'll get a Chicago, Illinois listener. True, true to lie, Harry day. This is the time where I say peace. And good tidings. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. The love will come back to me. Some jealous paw snuck up around the bed, tried to take a loving over me. Oh.